Although Masi Alinejad was exiled from Iran in 2009, she continues to fight for the people of her country and was named one of Time Magazine's 2023 Women of the Year. And even though she has to use her voice from afar, she has amassed 9 million social media followers that hear her message of equality and freedom for the women of Iran and the world. We, the women of Iran and Afghanistan, we are not sacrificing our lives to protect ourselves. We are trying to protect democracy. We are fighting for women here in America, in the West. And that is why we must get united. Masi passionately describes what life is like for the women of Iran, explains why authoritarian regimes target women and girls, and tells us about a term she's coined, pickle democracy. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. We are honored today to be joined by Masi Alinejad, who recently was named one of Time Magazine's 2023 Women of the Year. She's an Iranian living in exile in New York, but where she continues to fight for the people of her country through social media. She's the author of The Wind in My Hair, My Fight for Freedom in Modern Iran, and has almost 9 million followers on Instagram. I I like the hair adjustment there. That's fantastic. (laughs) It's not the wind in my hair anymore. It's like... Hurricane in my hair. <laughs> uh, well, she's an incredibly brave woman, and we are so honored to have you here at the Bush Center. Masi, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being with you. And our co-host is my good friend, Natalie Ganella-Plass, the Director of Women's Advancement at the Bush Institute, and another tireless advocate, um, not just for women, but for freedom worldwide. Natalie, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So... You're part of a revolution in Iran, and, and we obviously want to dive deeply into that. But can you start by just telling our audience who might not know, like, what is life like in Iran and why do you need change there? What's going on over there? Life is like a hell in Iran. But believe me, women are not giving up their fight against those who made our life like a hell, the mullahs. Yes. I mean, I love your hair. Let's just start from you. Thank you. Martha. Imagine a day that you don't have a control Uh, over your own body, how would you feel? And how would you describe life in a country where the clerics, the laws telling you, um, cover your hair, telling you what to wear, telling you what kind of lifestyle to follow? This is not just about women. It's an insult to men as well, to you as well, because you're being told by the government in Iran that if that beautiful woman, if that powerful woman don't cover her hair, then you're not, you know, in a good position because you cannot control yourself. You get excited and you rape them. This is an insult to a nation. So this is why uh, now you are actually witnessing one of the most progressive revolution in Iran, led by women, supported by men, saying that this is a gender apartheid regime, and we want to end this regime. You know, it's strangulation of agency. Uh, and it's not just an insult to the people of Iran. It's also an insult to the Islamic faith, um, because there are so many people around the world who are practicing Muslims, and this is not part of of the faith. It's it's part of the Iranian regime's use of autocracy, which is built on patri- patriarchy, to retain control. And, and in, in their mind, their goal is to expand that control. Oh, thank God you didn't actually call me Islamophobic. So you know that we are fighting against Islamic ideology. We are fighting against uh, Sharia laws telling us to be second-class citizens. Yeah, my mom 
wears hijab. She is the true representative of our culture. She's not the one actually uh, beating me up and forcing me to follow her own lifestyle. So when we're talking about compulsory hijab, when we're talking about um, religious dictatorship, clearly we're talking about uh, the, the, the lifestyle that ISIS, Taliban, and Islamic Republic want to force us to follow. This is, this is it. This is very simple because for years and years when I have been fighting against compulsory hijab laws, when I launched my campaign in 2014, people in the West were hesitating to touch the issue because they were like, oh, no, you know, um, you are now uh, causing Islamophobia. And I was like, wait a minute. Those who lashes us, those who execute us if we don't cover ourselves, if we don't practice Islam anymore, if we... Um, drink water during Ramadan in Iran. Those who actually kill people for uh, expressing the, themselves, those are the one causing Islamophobia. Not us actually trying to say that we have agency and we don't need anyone to uh, to force us to follow Islamic laws. So that's why I think that this revolution led by women trying to give a better picture to the rest of the world that we, women of Iran, women of Afghanistan, we are mature enough to make decision over our own body. And we want to end, uh, you know, the interference between religious and uh, religion and, and politics. I think you touched on something important there, that this goes beyond just Iran. This, this touches other countries in the Middle East where, where the, the men are, are, that are in power are just not using their power to better the lives of all of their citizens. Women of Afghanistan right now are in front line. We've seen this movie before, 44 years ago, when the Islamic uh, you know, clerics took over in when they actually, um, oh my God, when they forced women to cover themselves. That was the first step um, to actually take all our social rights away from us. So now we are witnessing the same thing happening in women of Afghanistan. So that's why I believe that we, the women of Iran and Afghanistan, are like uh, fighting for the same goal in uh, struggling the same battles, and that's why we have to get united. So the recently, actually, women of Iran and Afghanistan launched a new campaign, which actually trying to get the attention of the policymakers across the globe. We are uh, calling on the West to expand the definition of apartheid, to include gender apartheid, in all international laws. Why? Because we believe that the Islamic Republic is a total gender apartheid regime. Taliban is the same. I mean, I'm asking you, how many women are here? Three. Imagine it was not women of Iran. It was women of America being kicked out from schools, being kicked out from universities, being kicked out from a stadium like Iran. What would have been the reaction of men and women here in America? Be honest with me. Outrage, no? Absolutely. No? But this is happening right now. In Iran, in Afghanistan, women are being kicked out from a stadium, from a school, from university. Women receive lashes. Women are under, schoolgirls are un, under chemical attacks in Iran. But when we sending letters to FIFA, to, UNES, to UNESCO, to uh, UNICEF, to different uh, organizations, to leaders 
of the democratic countries, they say that, you know, this should be a deal within the society, within the countries, in Iran, in Afghanistan. No, this is human rights, women's rights, it's a global issue. And it's like during South Africa, President Biden was really loud and clear to uh, boycott South Africa during the apartheid. That should be the same case right now when it comes to Taliban and Islamic Republic. Kick the gender apartheid from everywhere. I mean, at the end of the day, this is about the inherent human dignity Mm -hmm. of every individual. Their ability to be able to fulfill their full potential, you know, to define their life and to be not just accepted, but appreciated for who they are. I mean, that is essentially what women in Iran, in Afghanistan, in so many countries around the world who are not just marginalized, but brutally oppressed by autocratic actors. And, you know, we've touched on Iran and Afghanistan, but you look at what the Chinese regime, for example, has done to the Uyghur women. You look at the use of gender-based violence in so many societies around the world. What uh, Putin has done in terms of uh, taking Ukrainian children away from their mothers and sending them into Russia, um, you know, These are autocratic actors. And the thing is, they recognize that women are a huge influence on the progression of peaceful, prosperous societies. At the end of the day, we want not just what's best for ourselves, but what's best to ensure a brighter, more free and fair future for our children. And that is incredibly powerful when it comes to advancing democracy and human rights around the world. I'm really happy, actually, you brought up China and Russia. But Let's just be very, very um, clear that this is unbelievable that Putin, I mean, all the dictators from China to Russia to Venezuela, everywhere, are more united than democratic countries, no? They're helping each other. They're sending tools and, and, and like uh, weapons to each other in like supporting each other to oppress any protest in Iran, in Russia, in Venezuela. Right now that I'm talking to you, Khamenei is sending drones to Putin to kill innocent uh, children, women, Ukrainians, no? And they are actually um, educating each other to spread, how to spread misinformation, fake news, disinformation against their own opponents, against their own dissidents abroad. They're really good at using reliable media in the West to mislead the rest of the world. Putin, Khamenei. The Chinese gave the surveillance uh, equipment to the Iranian regime that they're using to go after women who are removing the hijab. I mean, this is a really, really important point. And I'm elated that you brought it up. I mean, you brought it up and it touches me because it's, 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 Wow, the Iranian regime hired three criminals from Eastern Europe, Russian mafia, to kill me on U.S. soil. So right now that I'm talking to you, I mean, honestly, think about it. U.K. citizen is in prison. U.S. citizen is in prison in Iran. Um, Citizens from Netherlands, from um, uh, Sweden, from France, from Germany. They're all in prison in Iran and they're being used like bargaining chip to get nuclear deal. So you see... Imagine a day that all these leaders from democratic countries get united, downgrade their relation with these terrorists and hostage takers, and ask them to release all the political prisoners. What's going to happen? This is my dream, because 
when Putin, Khamenei, China, Venezuela, like all the dictators are helping each other, this is the crucial moment that the the leaders of democratic countries, they must help freedom fighters as well. My friend Gary Kasparov and Leopoldo Lopez from Russia and Venezuela, we actually uh, launched a new initiative called World Liberty Congress. We're trying actually to get all the oppositions uh, and dissidents from autocracy and dictatorship to be united because we all know that our dictators are really good at dividing us and dividing oppositions. So we're trying actually to actually have this united front, oppositions from different autocracies and dictatorship to be an example for leaders of democratic countries to be united to support democracy across the globe. Well, I know, and I want to touch more on on your personal story, but I think, you know, you were asking what would, what would we do here? And I know every everybody I know, like, you don't mess with our moms. Like, the, the women of the world are the moms, and you don't, like, they are the hardest working, the smartest, the, the, the heart and soul of the family. And and I know we if there would be outrage if if we were to, if women were told you, know, you can't go to the basketball game tonight or you can't go to um you, you've finished two years of school but you can't go to, you can't finish your degree like I, I know I I would be outraged and I think everybody I know would be outraged here because that's the 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 mom and the woman is at the is is truly the heart and soul of everything. Oh yeah, right now um, that I'm talking to you, um, there is a group called uh, Mothers for Justice. And these are the mothers whose children, whose beloved one got killed by the Iranian regime. Guess what happened? They are holding the pictures of their beloved one. They're all going to the same streets and making videos of themselves and saying that here we are in the same street that you killed our our sons, you killed our daughters, but we're not going to give up. We're here to end this regime. And these mothers, to me, are like women of suffrages, you know, like there are a group of women in Iran, they're, they've been blinded. The Revolutionary Guards shut them in their eyes. But when you go on their social media, you get goosebumps that they're showing victories to the Iranian regime and saying that you can take our eyes, you can take our bodies, you can take even our life, but you cannot take our hope away. And we are here uh, to see a free Iran even with one eye. So these are, to me, like, Women, uh, like women of suffragists, as I said, like Rosa Parks of Iran, like, uh, you know, these are the engine of this revolution. These are my true heroes. And I believe that they're going to end the Islamic Republic. When the clerics actually uh, occupied Iran, first they started to control women because they thought that if they write their own ideology on our body, then they're going to control the whole society. But there's a famous saying in uh, Margaret Atwood's book called, called Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. She says in that book, which is an amazing series as well, she says that if you didn't want to make us an army against you, you shouldn't have put us in the same uniform. This <laughs> is right now in Iran. They force us in the same uniform, which is veiling, compulsory veiling. But now women are actually using the same veil, like a flag of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, like like a bird, like waving this in public and protesting against uh, the Islamic Republic. For us, compulsory hijab is like the main pillar of the Islamic Republic. It's like the Berlin Wall. If we bring this wall down, as President Reagan said, let's tear this wall down, then this is going to be the end of the Islamic Republic. 
So let's let's talk about you some. You are you're here in the U.S. Um, and that is in many ways not by choice, as I understand it. Tell us about how your story began and and how you got to where you are today. Oh my God, I had I had a long journey from a tiny village in north of Iran called Romikola to here in America. I mean, a tiny village where I was forced, not me, millions of schoolgirls from early age, from the age of seven, we were told that, um, we were brainwashed that we had to shout death to America as loud as the White House would shake. We were told that we had to, I mean, we had to say death to Israel as loud as the Tel Aviv would shake. But now I'm here to tell you that all the schoolgirls are shouting death to Islamic Republic as loud as the Islamic Republic and the clerical tyranny are shaking. So this, my journey is like the same as millions of Iranian young girls right now in Iran uh, became rebel, became like the nightmare, one of the worst nightmare of the Islamic Republic. I remember that in my, my tiny village, we had black and white TV and I was watching the clerics telling me what to do. I was actually watching them telling me that you're going to be hanged by your hair if your hair is visible. And um, now all those clerics are watching me through their own TV. By me, it means millions of women because on my social media where I have more than 10 million followers, I just share the videos of brave women of Iran. I just share their stories. And that scares the Iranian regime. So I believe that... Um, for 40 years, they actually managed to, you know, to scare us. We had the fear inside us. But now, this is the Islamic Republic. They are scared of their own women. For years and years, they said that our biggest enemy is Israel and America. But now we, the women of Iran, we became their biggest enemy. And so as their enemy, they've, they've been trying to, to hit you back, right? Oh, yeah. But hey... That shows you how much they're scared of us. <laughs> I, I'm not carrying any weapon. I'm only 45 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> but they send killers on U.S. soil. Why? I don't think that they, uh, I mean, I have to correct myself. They don't scared of me. They scared of women. And they want to stop me from giving voice to brave women of Iran. But they are losers because they don't know that it's not about me. Now women in Iran, they don't even need me. There are millions of powerful women inside Iran, and they will bring this regime down for sure. <laughs> and there's a couple of things that, that you've mentioned, right? The power of information, the power of lived experience, the power of telling stories. And it's so, so important that not just, you know, well-known journalists and activists like yourself lift up those stories, but that we all have the power to spread those experiences like wildfire. I also think it's really important to to point out too that so much of the the, the protest movement, the the revolution movement that we've seen has been born out of, you know, education hubs. And you look at what these dictators specifically go after and it's very different, you know, the experience of 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 women um and and how they can access education in Iran is is obviously different to to what it looks like in Afghanistan, but these education hubs are such a critical 
lifeline to advancing free societies. And that's why autocratic actors like the Taliban, like the Iranian regime, Boko Haram, Boko Haram, you know, really want to restrict women's uh, participation in terms of, of access to education. And one story that I think captivated the world's attention a month, month and a half ago was when you brought it up earlier, the chemical poisoning of of the schoolgirls. What has happened to hold those perpetrators to account? Very little. And and I mean, oh, yeah. literally poisoning schoolgirls because at the end of the day, an educated girl, an educated woman is going to fight for a better future for herself, for her family, for her children, for her community. Um, and And that is why not just support for things like girls' education, but support for women advocates, support for your campaign in in confronting gender apartheid is so critical um, because it makes a significant difference in ensuring that these, not just these countries, but all of us around the world have better odds for a more peaceful, prosperous future. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right, absolutely right. Um, educated women are. Uh, the nightmare of the Islamic Republic, the nightmare of the Taliban, ISIS, Boko Haram, and Al Shabaab. I mean, pick your pick your member from the band of thugs. That's why actually they um, using the same tactic, fear tactic, to push them back behind the curtain. Would uh, we have been witnessing recent month that uh, schoolgirls were the target of chemical attacks? actually shows you that they're using the same tactic that Boko Haram used years ago. Taliban did poisoning like, you know, yeah. girls intentionally. Same tactics. Why they do this? Because they know that educated women can use their voice like their weapons, you know, and they know that our weapons are more powerful than their weapons. So that's why they want to um, stop women from going to school, from going to university. They try to eliminate women from from everywhere. Even in Iran, for years and years, I've been actually uh, challenged by many Western academics uh, saying that, you know, but uh, 60 percentage of universities being occupied by women in Iran, you're maybe exaggerating um because you live miles away from Iran and because you're being um, kicked out from uh, Iranian parliament, being kicked out from Iran. So that's why maybe you're too biased when, it's come to, when it comes to uh, analyzing the Islamic Republic. You're too harsh because women are educated in Iran. But as far as the Islamic Republic is in power, they can take your visibility back the moment that they... Uh, they fear of your power. This is what happens. Yes, we have been uh, like uh, occupying the university places um, for 40 years, but where are those women? Women still are not allowed to run the country. Believe me, we have so many powerful leaders. They can run the country better than these backward mullahs. Where are those educated women? Women are still not allowed. We don't have female ministers. You know, we don't have the power to actually, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. We are mature enough to go to university in Iran, but we're not mature enough to make decisions over our own body. This is the mindset of this government, even allowing women of Iran to access to education. But at the end, they are the one that they can stop us. So to me and millions of Iranian women, this chemical attacks, a series of poisoning schoolgirls 
were an act of revenge because they realized that these were the schoolgirls and women leading this revolution. So they started to realize that if they don't stop women, then this is going to be out of, the, out of control. It's about invoking fear. And, and you brought up a really good point, too. So often the international community says, well, there's so many students attending you know, these schools, so we've made progress. Women have access to education in Iran. Yes, they can attend university. Yes, they can attend secondary school. But the quality of that education, the holistic nature of that education, and the ability to leverage then that education to fully contribute within the society is incredibly limited. And that is a strategic tactic of the regime to continue to subjugate women, to continue to fortify their hold on power. It's backfiring um, tremendously and and quite splendidly, actually, because these hubs, these education hubs have actually become the the headquarters of of these movements that we're seeing, which in Afghanistan, in Iran are being led by young women and, and adolescent girls. But what bothers me a lot that there are so many powerful female leaders across the globe, high representative of the EU, feminist global movement, that they can do a lot. But for some reason, they're lost. I mean, I don't want to put the blame on them. But look, um, women of Iran, women of Afghanistan are in front line. But we see that high representative of European Parliament meeting with Taliban, meeting with the Islamic Republic leaders uh, by obeying compulsory hijab laws. And, oh my God, they actually say that we do that out of respect to your culture. While Iranian women, women of Afghanistan, sacrificing their life in the face of Taliban and Islamic Republic, trying to send a message to the rest of the world that... Um, this misogynist, uh, you know, leaders are not representing our culture. So don't do it. By meeting and legitimizing Taliban and Islamic Republic, clearly you're empowering our oppressors. You are actually legitimizing gender apartheid regime to put more pressure on us. I actually published a video of a woman being surrounded by morality police, 11 morality police officers inside Iran. And the morality officers were telling her to cover yourself right now. And she was like, nope. And the woman were told, was told by the morality police that you have to respect the law. This is the law of the land. And the woman was referring to, um, oh my God, this is very beautiful. You have to go and listen to that uh, argument. The woman was referring to the fight here in America and saying that slavery used to be legal. Bad law should be broken. I'm not going to respect the bad law. We have to make respectable laws. And then uh, the police officer actually said to her, even uh, the high representative of EU, Catherine Ashton, respected our law when she was here. Who are you? How dare you to break this law? So you see, mm -hmm. that actually shows you when the leaders of democratic countries, when the female politicians, when they respect Taliban and Islamic Republic, they use that against us to oppress us more and more. So for this, I believe that the time has come for the global feminist movement to initiate Women's March for women of Iran and Afghanistan. I, I myself was part of Women's March here 
in New York. I was like shouting my body, my choice. And I was very excited. And I was actually calling my friends in Iran saying that, oh my God, no one come and arrest me here. This is the first time for me participating in a demonstration without getting, uh, you know, um, harassed by police, without being bullied, without getting lashes, without getting, but what happened? I'm very disappointed when it comes to my body, my choice in Iran, in Afghanistan, suddenly the, you know, senators, congresswomen and uh, female politicians in the West saying that, okay, well, now my bodies can be the choice of Taliban. My bodies can be the choice of Islamic Republic. That's beyond sad. The time has come that women, feminists should stick together and put their values uh, like in the first uh, priority. No, do not bury your values on their political agenda. That's my goal. You also bring up a really good point here, too. You know, so often, and we have just saw this um, in the last few days with the Doha meetings uh, related to how the international community will engage or not engage uh, with the Taliban. You know, there were no Afghan women invited oh my, to yeah. that to that dialogue. And so often, whether it's Iranian women, whether it's Afghan women, whether it's Uyghur women in China, you know, pick pick your place in the world where women are oppressed and and subjugated through just absolute brutality. Um, so often they are not given a seat at the table or it is where there are seats given, you know, they're, they're token seats and they're not representative of, you know, the diversity of, the, of these societies, especially in terms of, you know, the uh, intergenerational mm-hmm. um, connections uh, between advocates, you know, and, and so often there are there are so many young advocates who stand on the shoulders of giants and and really, you know, passing the torch among the generations who've been in these fights for decades. Um, that is critically, critically, critically important. Um, if we mean what we say in terms of advancing gender equity, I mean, we have a sustainable development goal that is dedicated to gender equality. And we're not even giving space at the table to the advocates who are trying to advance societies where, you know, we can say we met SDG 5. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually is not only hurting Iranian women or women of Afghanistan. At the end of the day, that is going to hurt democracy. That is going to hurt every individual Americans, every individual Western citizens. Why I'm saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you all know this expression, what happened in Vegas. It's going <laughs> to stay in Vegas. But what happened in the Middle East is not going to stay there. Yeah. Islamic Republic and Taliban, they're like coronavirus. I mean, more deadlier than coronavirus. They're going to infect the rest of the world. A free Iran can help democracy across the globe, can help. I mean, the Islamic Republic is really good at uh, exporting their own ideology across the globe. We see um, like the increase of uh, child marriage in the Western countries. We see that how, um, um, you know, dissidents being the target of terrorist attack across the globe. Right now that I'm talking to you, um, since 2014 till now, more than 700 dissidents beyond the borders of Iran being the target of... uh, terrorist uh, regime of Islamic Republic. So you see, they're not going to just kill their people inside Iran. The Islamic Republic is a threat for 
the region, people in the Middle East. They are the biggest sponsor of Hezbollah, Hamas, Bashar Assad, all the terrorist proxies in the, in the Middle East. For years and years, when Gary Kasparov was warning about the danger of Putin, people were calling him warmonger. He himself was not actually involved in the uh, conversation when it comes to, you know, Russian mafia, Russian uh, fascist. He was not involved. But now what happened? The war is in the middle of Europe. It's in the heart of Europe, in Ukraine. So this is going to happen when it comes to Iran, if the U.S. policymakers, the Western policymakers do not take the fight of women of Iran and Afghanistan serious, they will face these warmongers on U.S. soil, on Western soil. So clearly, we, the women of Iran and Afghanistan, we are not sacrificing our lives to protect ourselves. We are trying to protect democracy. We are fighting for women here in America, in the West. And that is why we must get united. We say here at the Bush Institute, what happens around the world matters to us here at home. And uh, to your point, over and over and over again, even in recent history, right, we have seen how this plays out. Um, and we can't just keep sweeping it under the rug. It's it's vitally, vitally important that we recognize the intersection of the advancement of gender inequity and the advancement of autocracies around the world because democracy depends on it. It depends on the status and well-being of women and girls everywhere. But the problem is that in America, the policymakers do not see this as bipartisan issue. That's the problem. That's what is missing here. Let me be very clear with you. If the Islamic Republic want to kill Americans, they don't go and ask you whether you're Republican or Democrat. Are you left, right? No. They kill you anyway because they hate America, because they hate democracy. I mean, um, when the when um, the Iranian regime was actually uh, trying to kill me, my neighbors in Brooklyn, uh, they just uh, followed the news on CNN, Fox News, everywhere. And... Every single neighbor who had different sign, one of them was supporting um, Obama, the other supporting having the sign of Kamala and Biden, the other one, you know, put the sign of supporting Trump, President Trump. And But when it comes to national security, when it comes to the safety of American citizens, they were all united. They all came to me and they said, is there anything that we can help you? This is what, this is what America looks like. This is what I love about America. Yeah. You see, the U.S. policymakers should be like my neighbors, <laughs> you know? They have it's to see true. this bipartisan issue. But, but I, as I said that, I'm a really good gardener. I grow, veg <laughs> yeah, I grow vegetables in You're my garden. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feed my neighbors. I go to my neighbors and I offer them cucumbers. I offer them basil, tomatoes, mint, sunflowers. And um, I even make pickles and i offered them pickles so i got to know my neighbors in this way offering them pickles i think that pickle diplomacy works <laughs> i got them united through my right. diplomacy so i want to call on republicans democrats left and liberals you know follow the pickle diplomacy yeah. be united when it comes to end terrorist regime otherwise the terrorists will get united and they will end democracy 
Yeah, it's, we've we often say here like we we do not all have to agree on everything. That's okay. Yeah. We can have we can have disagreements, but but we are at the end of the day all trying to move in the same direction. We can be we need to be friends with our neighbors and listen to our neighbors. And if we don't agree, we don't agree, and that's okay. We'll find something else that we do agree on. And um, I'm really glad that you've gotten to experience that here in the U.S. We're I think the, we we feel strong that the U.S. is a better place because brave women like yourself are able to come here. Um, and I know the Bush Institute feels strongly that more brave women need to be able to come here if this is where they want to um, put down their roots. And so we're, we're really glad that, that you're here. And, um, you know, I'm so, we, we, it's terrible in the circumstances, but we're glad you're here. Thank and you. It's an important part of America. Thank you so much. I mean, America and Iran, they're good friends. And I believe that we, the people of Iran, are better allies for Americans compared to these backward mullahs. Thank you so much for having me here. Really appreciate all the time that you've given us and, and hope you've had a wonderful stay at the Bush Center so far. And we really are thrilled that you're here and, and hope you'll visit us again. Of course. Next time, maybe I invite you to my beautiful country, Iran. Awesome. Or, or we'll also come have some pickles at your place. <laughs> I know. I'm all for that. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank Woman, you. life, freedom. <laughs> you can follow Masi Alinejad on Instagram at masi.alinejad. That's M-A-S-I-H dot A-L-I-N-E-J-A-D. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Strategist. We hope you enjoyed it. You can leave us a note on social media and let us know what you think. That's at The Bush Center on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.